Do you feel good? I feel better than I've ever felt in my entire oh. life. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's true. So many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Sion with us in, well, we're actually not in the damn library, are we, Drew? We are, we are back at our dear friend's uh, FSG. Yes, FSG has uh, hosted us to interview Sion, who is an Icelandic poet and a novelist and lyricist, uh, frequently collaborates with Bjork. and uh, Academy Award nominee. And his, his novels have been translated into 30 languages. Uh, most recently, Codex 1962, a trilogy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We really appreciate you um, coming all the way from Iceland just to be on our show. <laughs> that's the right. of course. That's, that's the reason why you came, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make something special for the for the drink uh-huh. because this is such a bizarre special book with a lot of different elements to it. Um, there's there's things I just wanted to make something that almost tasted like something from a fairy tale. Um, and so I made this drink. It, um, it's just uh, juice and sparkling water. It's um, guava juice, grapefruit juice, uh, red grapefruit juice, uh, Meyer lemon, and lavender simple syrup. Mm. And that's um, mixed with seltzer and some confectioner stars on top. The stars on top are a really nice mm. touch. Thank you. And, and, it, and it tastes wonderfully. Oh, I'm so glad. Uh, it's called uh, Starry Water. And so one of the names of the main character, he's becoming um, an Icelandic citizen, and he's going to change his name. Um, he wants to be, he thinks a starling sounds nice. So Starry Water. Nice. That's my, that's my um, punny name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's the, that's the drink. Let's talk about some books. Let's do the book thing. Christopher, how about you start us? What have you picked up recently? Oh yeah, I am. Um, I just uh, I'm taking a leaf out of the October Country book, ah. um, because that was recently, and yes. um, this is uh, this is a scary story. I'm having it read to me. I got an audiobook of um, Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Oh, wonderful. Mm. Um, and Bernadette Dunn reads it, and she's like an audiobook reader extraordinaire. She's got an incredible voice for this. And uh, it's a great thing to have in your ears as the weather turns crisp and um, red and yellow leaves. For a moment, I really thought that you had some external income that I didn't know about, and so you had just hired someone to come <laughs> read yeah. to you. That'd be and nice. That'd be very cool. Um, so that's what I'm, what about, what about you, Sion? Did you um, pick up anything recently? Well, um, I've, I was sent a book uh, by a dear uh, Danish friend, uh, Madame Nielsen. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's uh, possibly one of the best uh, living authors in the Nordic countries today. She sent me her latest book called The Monster. And I got it the day before I left Iceland. Mm. So two days ago. And I started reading it on the plane uh, yesterday. And it's a story about a young man who comes to New York in uh, 1993 and uh, believes that the Wooster Group uh, have invited him to come and be their new star. But he descends into the darkest, uh, darkest dark of New York in those days. And I've just started reading it, and it's very promising. <laughs> that sounds right up my alley. That sounds great. So I hope it will be translated. Her, uh, her uh, book, uh, The Endless Summer, mm-hmm. was, uh, was uh, published here, I think, uh, two years ago and got mm-hmm. some great reviews. So Madame Nielsen, The Monster, that's what I didn't pick up, but <laughs> I, I was sent. <laughs> yes. Um, I also, I was sent something, um, Europa Editions, they have just published their first foray into translated fantasy. Uh, it, the book is called A Winter's Promise oh. by Christelle Davos. It's French, 
Um, the quartet has already been published in France, all four books. Um, but it something about it just caught my eye, and and the fine folks at Europa reached out and said, "Would you like to see a copy of this?" And something about it's it, it's, it involves mirrors, floating cities in the sky. I haven't started it yet, but it seems like if there's any justice in the world, it will be on par with N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy, just like a big, sprawling fantasy epic from a voice that is not often represented, it, at least in American fantasy reading. It's got a beautiful, beautiful mm. cover. Yeah, it's like really a lovely like, sky robin egg blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really neat. Okay, let's get to the main event. Yeah, let's <laughs> talk about your novel, Codex 1962, a trilogy. Um, first of all, do you want to tell our listeners what it's about if they haven't encountered it themselves yet? Um, it's a book that is, uh, uh, is uh, almost impossible to summarize. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, I, I've, been, uh, I've been following it, following it with quite uh, an interest uh, Lately, you know, uh, in the reviews, because uh, <laughs> some of the reviewers, they have really a hard time summarizing it, and some of them do quite a good job of it. Mm. But you can say that it's a literary work. It's a, it's, it's a big story where uh, a character named Josef Löwe is trying to make uh, sense of his life and being while he is uh, slowly dying of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a disease or a syndrome called uh, the Stoneman disease. And uh, uh, he places his origin in the, in, the, in the Second World War. He starts by telling us the story of his making when his father, a Czech Jew, who is uh, escaping the Holocaust, is briefly briefly uh, uh, sheltered in a guest house in northern Germany uh, and meets there a, a, a wonderful young woman called Marie-Sophie and together they make the narrator out of clay. So he is a golem. And uh, the story continues to Iceland in, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the 50s mm -hmm. where uh, the father, uh, Leo Löwe, has to retrieve <clears throat> he has to retrieve uh, gold from the from the tooth of a former or i don't know can you be a former nazi i don't know <laughs> uh, 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 an icelandic nazi who has actually uh, stolen stolen the the, the 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 dear ring the dear gold ring that is needed to uh, bring life to the boy of clay and uh, leo Löwe has to commit a crime to, to retrieve that gold and bring the sun to life. And then the last part of the book is where uh, Joseph, the narrator, really gives up on telling his story mm -hmm. because it all becomes all too much. And, or, yeah, how do you tell your own story? It's easier to tell other people's stories. Yeah. But, it, you know, but, but he has a listener. He has, has a listener throughout the whole work. And uh, because he really wants to leave a mark uh, on, uh, on, uh, on, on, on the world, he, he, wants to, he wants to leave something of himself behind. And in this case, it is the story. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, because he's so uh, afraid of uh, losing the attention of this listener, he uses every trick in the in the book of uh, literature mm -hmm. to uh, to uh, keep her attention. Yeah. So he goes from uh, biblical uh, biblical tales to uh, poetry to uh, modernist uh, stream of consciousness to uh, burlesque, uh, whatever right. is needed to keep <laughs> the attention at the moment. Mm -hmm. he, he he does it. So oh. it's almost. It Did I summarize it? Uh, yeah. I was it okay? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's, that's the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's sort of, I mean, there's, if you're thinking, you know, um, uh, Arabian Nights, A Thousand and Thousand One Nights, mm -hmm. um, it's something of that, of like trying to keep the story going. And it also reminded me of um, the Princess Bride movie, of uh, a story being told and being interrupted by the teller of and, um, and by the person who's receiving the story and wanting it to go differently and... Um, 
there's just all sorts of things within that that there's that I'd love to get into and pull apart here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm curious. So I the thanks to FSG, I was introduced to your work with some of your earlier work, the Blue Fox uh, from the Mouth of the Whale. These lovely, tight, short, right. concise stories. We should say like most of your work is under 150 pages yeah. and, and they're yeah. these little slim volumes. Yeah, and so I'm I'm curious to know what was it that made you want to throw everything at the wall? Because there really is, I mean, I get a sense of you as a reader, as a writer, as a human in this book, mm-hmm. just because of the wide range of influences that you're pulling in. And right. So where did that come from for you? Well, uh, it just came with a story. It came with this need for uh, uh, telling a story that... Uh, um, was irresistible, mm-hmm. you know, to the to the listener, you know, and uh, you can't do that with precision. It also has to do with the with the fact that it is a told story. Mm-hmm. It is it's an oral tale, you know. And for me, uh, it was uh, it was a necessary step at the time uh, to get away from the precision and the polishing of the of the. Of the of the shorter texts, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, I really wanted this story to have the quality of the of the told tale, mm-hmm. and uh, but of course it is all thoroughly written, and uh, and many of the of the of the of the stories that he digresses into are as polished and tight as anything else that I've written. Right, mm-hmm. but because of the oral nature of his uh, tale, uh, it just had to be sprawling, mm-hmm. and I also wanted to to uh, write uh, a book that in a way fails, you know. He fails in telling his story, yeah. you know. And I wanted that to be built into the book. Mm. So it has to like, has to introduce, uh, right from the beginning, it has to introduce the element of, uh, of, uh, of a text that is too much or, or, or fails mm-hmm. even, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I did. I was. I was curious. I guess in the actual process of this, did it come out in just like, oh, and this is where I need to tell a different story, or did you have more like? I imagined either you were just writing and it was like, oh, this is what's next, or you had like a file bank of like, ah, oh, here's my story about, I don't know, unicorns, and I can work that in here. I guess uh, mo- most of it is stories that came uh, uh, just came. Uh, what can you say, naturally, mm. uh, in the process of writing, uh, by association, you know. Some, somehow I knew that at a certain point I needed a story or, or, or that he comes to the point where a story about uh, a revived corpse is needed, mm-hmm. like in the story about the, 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 the character who is created from the, from the bodily remains of uh, all the soldiers in the yeah. battlefields of the First World War, like a Frankenstein tale. Mm-hmm. That was needed, you know, because at that point, you know, we need a story. He, he needs to reflect on his own story through a story about loss mm-hmm. and, and how loss can create uh, uh, monsters, really, and, uh, and how in war uh, imposters return and all of that, you know. I just wanted to bring in the experience of the people that uh, Marie-Sophie is, is living with in, in this small town in Germany in the Second World War. I just needed to bring in the experience of the men and the women who had so recently gone through the First World War. Mm-hmm. So I just knew that I needed, I needed a good tale about that. <laughs> right. And because the whole thing is about uh, creation and destruction, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a Frankenstein story was, uh, <laughs> was the right story at the time. So throughout the work, you know, I just like listened for which stories wanted to come through in right. a way. Yeah. Well, there was that one story that um, w- sticks out to me because it's Bloodfoot, um, which dema- literally demands to be told in the text. Like you, the, um, the narrator gets asked by the listener to like, please leave that alone for now. Yeah. But then the story continues and the details of that story come crawling back. It's actually a pretty scary, like horrifying part of the book. And, um, I guess there's this like want to shoo away from violence, but then look back at it as well um, that you were playing with there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, and uh, and uh, it also addresses the fact that some things you cannot uh, 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 talk about directly. 
So whenever uh, the character, you know, Josef Löwe, you know, when he's when he's coming to uh, when he comes to the really hard things, it's easier for him to digress into a story that reflects on the hard things instead of just putting them uh, raw on the table, you mm-hmm. know. And I actually think that is the nature of literature. Literature is uh, the mirror. You know, we can look at the world in the mirror, mm-hmm. you right. know, in its mirror image. That's easier than, than looking straight into the face of the face of the monster, you can say. I found I was surprised at how much I was moved by this idea of a a survivor in so many different ways. The way that that Joseph is telling his story and wanting to shy away. And I was thinking about so many people who have encountered that similar difficulty right now of I have a story that needs to be told, but also I have I don't want to tell it because it's difficult to tell. Mm-hmm. And the question that kept coming up for me, especially in that last third of the book, is he keeps wanting to turn aside. As you were writing it, was it was it Joseph speaking through you and, and turning aside each time? Or did you do you know the unvarnished truth of his story and then you were allowing it to turn aside or is it still a little bit of a mystery even to you? Uh, Well, (laughs) (laughs) as the author, I I, I am sure I know more or less everything there is uh, to know about the story and the character. But uh, 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 in the third, in the third volume, uh, uh, he is all of a sudden faced with what, is most likely the real story of his origin, which is uh, the story of uh, of Brynhildur, his uh, this woman who who uh, who uh, has a son by um, American uh, uh, what do you call him GI and, mm-hmm. and 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 then uh, just uh, becomes you know a, a hopeless drunk and, and and is abused and and living in very hard circumstances in Reykjavik and she gives birth to a boy that nobody knows uh, whose father is, this is probably the truth of his story. Right. Mm-hmm. This is probably the truth of his story. But uh, it's a story that is brought to him, and when, when he's confronted with it, you know, he, he really just can't deny it, and he mm-hmm. just has to allow it, but then he uh, uses the next opportunity to, 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 to start telling like a more fantastic story. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of fantastic stories, um, and it made me actually wonder... Just a broad question of, do you believe in ghosts? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are so many, go- to, to, to explain if you haven't read this, there's yeah. so many different types of ghosts. Mm-hmm. There's lots of s- playing with like, there's like actual spirit world ghosts and there's the ghosts of things that you can't, that are haunting you. And, you know, there's the idea of ghostliness is really explored many different ways, but it made me wonder. Mm. I once had an experience uh, uh, when I was, uh, I think I was maybe like uh, 14 or 15, uh, that I, I still can't, uh, you know, um, can't explain rationally. I, I saw, saw a figure uh, appear and disappear. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, so I, 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 I believe that there is... Uh, that ghosts are possible. Mm-hmm. Something called ghosts is possible. Yeah, but you know, I come from a f- come from Iceland, and in Iceland, uh, we still haven't got rid of many of the things uh, from the old days, like believe in dreams, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, a, a thing uh, most Icelanders have experienced is, for example, that uh, uh, either there is a knock on the door, or there is uh, the doorbell rings. You go to the door, there's no one there, mm-hmm. and maybe like a few minutes later or half an hour later, somebody turns up. And then you know that this person has a strong uh, familiar, mm-hmm. ah. you know. Oh, yeah. And yeah. A, there is a strong belief in this, you know. And I mean, I've, I've experienced this. So there's, you know, you, you hear a knock on the door, you go out and there's nobody there. You go inside and you know that somebody is coming, mm-hmm. you know, coming to your house. Right. And with the dreams, for example, uh, Usually, uh, if I have a dream about a person that I haven't seen for a long time, and this person is in, in is in a bad shape in the dream, or 
or it's like um, in a strange situation. When I wake up, I think, oh, I wonder what is happening with her now, or wonder if he's going through some hard time now. And the next time I meet like a, a friend of, uh, you know, a common friend, I might ask and say, have you heard about, heard from him or her lately, you mm -hmm. know? So we really believe in, in certain elements, you know, and we take notice of them, you know, and dreams are a strong part of our culture in that way. Yeah. The, I can I loved the um, sequence of following an angel following dreams and just like jumping between them. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of indelible images in that. It's really lovely to read a book that is simultaneously so imaginative and inventive, but also completely fine with saying like some of these things might not be real and it's up to you to figure out. Right. Which ones? Yeah, I sort of got the idea mm. of like, um, I kept th thinking it's a maximalist fable in the way that um, mm. like David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest is sort of like a maximalist postmodern novel. Mm -hmm. There's like always something that you're jumping to and it's really also that like fractal storytelling of there's some things that are true and some things that you're going to have to just take as true. Um, yes, yeah. for example, the, 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 the chapters where the uh, children of 1962 are gathering after their yes. death, you what know. I mean, where, where is that space? Yeah. I mean, it exists now because it's in the book, right. you know. So, so I like to present different levels of reality. And I think, uh, I think uh, that we should respect that there are many ways of, of experiencing uh, the so-called reality. Mm -hmm. And we have a wonderful treasure of of tales throughout uh, the centuries mm -hmm. uh, where people have actually put those experiences down, you know, or they have been like transcribed or they've come to us uh, through the ages. And uh, I just, uh, as a rule of thumb, you know, uh, uh, believe those, uh, those, uh, na uh, those uh, narrations, mm -hmm. you know. Well, so if somebody's seen an angel, you know, and, and we have like a, we have a written, a testimony of it, you know, mm -hmm. it, it has become a part of our reality that this person, you know, yeah. uh, uh, told that tale. Something that I also was very in touch with or, or thinking about was just um, golem literature, a uh, golem literature, um, because there's the golem mm -hmm. is a fascinating um artifact that finds its way into all sorts of books. I, I was thinking of um, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay yep. by Michael Chabon, which has us, which I think was my introduction to what a golem was, where I had to look it up afterwards to see, like, did he make that up? <laughs> <laughs> which, no, he didn't. There's this incredible, long yeah. history that's, it, that's involved. And um, I'm curious, golem literature, adding into the list of it, um, did you read a lot of of the accepted lore before you started working your own. Absolutely, uh, and uh, and my interest was uh, ignited by an, uh, a Czech novel called uh, Der Golem. It was written in German by Gustav Meyrink. He was a little bit older than Kafka, but you know he he, he lived in Prague uh, around the same time, and he wrote a fantastic novel based on the golem legend of Prague, you know, uh, or 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 the legend of the golem of Prague. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I had read that, read that uh, uh, story, uh, I, I started looking at uh, the origins of the tale. And mm -hmm. that, that brought me to the original tale of the golem. And I was in Prague in, in 1990 in the summer, uh, just after the Velvet Revolution. Yeah. And, and uh, it was an exciting time in Prague. And uh, I went to the Jewish uh, cemetery in Prague, uh, where they have the grave of uh, Rabbi Löwe, who... Uh, created the original uh, golem of the ghetto of Prague in the days of uh, Rudolf II. So, uh, yeah, so I really went into that, you know, mm -hmm. and, 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 and tried to read as much as I could about the original lore, but also the literature that it had, uh, it had uh, inspired. Mm. And, uh, and the golem is everywhere. It, it's, it's really an, uh, amazing how, how widely that story has, has spread, you know, in science fiction mm -hmm. and, and uh, of course, fantasy. And I remember when, uh, when uh, Michael uh, Shabon's book came out that uh, 
uh, I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're smuggling the golem out of uh, out of uh, out of uh, Czechoslovakia here too. But okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure there were many pieces of that uh, pieces of clay that could be taken out of, of out of Prague at the time, <laughs> you know. And uh, he's got one of them, and I got mine. Yeah. There's so much Icelandic pride in the book. Like yeah. everybody loves. Everyone from Iceland is very proud of it, and they want to. And I was just curious if you also feel like an Icelandic ambassador. Like, do you you have to bring it the culture out to the um, to us to us Americans? <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, um, some of the things in the book where people are very proud of of being Icelandic are uh, uh, ironic. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the whole <laughs> naming <laughs> bureaucracy. I was laughing so yes. hard. Yes. Yes. The naming and 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 the language course he takes, you know, where yeah. he's really like made to believe that you know there's no way a foreigner can learn this amazing language and yes. all that, you know. So I'm really taking on the hubris of of the Icelanders there as well, but uh, I think uh, all of us. It doesn't matter if you come from uh, Iceland or or from uh, from uh, parts of New York or uh, towns in in. Uh, in, uh, in in Brazil or uh, an African uh, capital or whatever, I think all of us uh, uh, all of us have, a, have maybe 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 it's it's okay to use the word duty uh, mm-hmm. towards our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only thing we've got, you know. We've we've got our own culture. We've got our got, we've got the place we were born in, you know, mm-hmm. and we've got the stories of that place. You know, and we got yeah. the stories of our family. We got the we 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 know the beliefs of our community, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we are in a way responsible for keeping those stories alive, yes. and and bringing them to others and sharing stories back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't have anything to do with with um, with uh, tribalism or nationalism. You right. know, I think those are like. Um, are uh, those are abuses of this uh, original need of uh, of uh, of uh, preserving your culture and matching or your culture with others in generosity right you know so i feel uh, i feel that i should write in icelandic i feel uh, i feel i i i i should uh, engage with icelandic uh, uh, literary heritage and uh, and the history of the place I'm born in, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think uh, this is among the things I should be doing <laughs> as an author. <laughs> but I, I'm very wary of saying author an author sh- uh, author must do this or that yes. or mm-hmm. even use the word duty. But I still think we have a duty to our people. You know, mm-hmm. it's like with uh, with uh, with. Um, uh, many indigenous cultures, you know, there, there it's very important to be able to, to um, say who are your folks, mm-hmm. wh- where you come from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, it is basically a tool to, uh, tool, um, to create trust, mm. you know. You know that I come from a place that I can, you know, that I'm bringing that culture with me that I feel responsible towards some people, you know, mm-hmm. and that I come with genera- generosity, yes. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm. And one thing that happens with, uh, with that, with storytelling and, and sharing stories, is that uh, uh, you create an equal ground mm-hmm. because st- a story can only be told at eye level, mm-hmm. you can say. Yes. You know, you have yeah. to have an eye contact for good storytelling. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it doesn't matter if you come from a nation of millions or 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 or, or, or like the fairy islands where there's 50,000 of them, mm-hmm. you know, when somebody from the fairy islands steps forward to tell the story, we look that person in the eyes. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. There, there's yeah. that uh, geometry section in the book. Or it's not a geometry section, but it's just like <laughs> two inches forward. In the oh, yes, 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 yes. You're yes. making someone, the storyteller, like leaning back a little bit so that the listener has to... Yeah, yeah. follow. Um, yeah. I have to say that um, that's why it's important to read novels in translation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Victoria Cribb is an incredible, I think, of she, course, yeah. who, I guess I don't know. She could be doing a terrible job. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, yeah, no yeah. I, I can tell you that she's doing an amazing job. Yeah, you know, my so. my only fear is that uh, 
that uh, her translations are, are so much better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is my only fear, you know, because she's so good, you know. Yeah, I was curious about I try to keep her, like, you know, in, 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 in check by by writing um, in, in a more and more difficult um, style. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, um, so you read her, I assume you read, and um, do you find phrases that are interestingly different in American, um, in English? Uh, we, we were, <coughs> uh, Victoria uh, and I, we've known each other for quite, 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 quite some time now. And, um, and uh, I, I have, a, have a complete trust in her. Mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, with her, like all my uh, translators, uh, I'm just there for them, you know. Mm -hmm. So if she has any questions, she writes to me. But I never read through the text uh, to uh, criticize or uh, review it, you know, uh, w w when she's doing the, 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 mm -hmm. the, the, the translations, you know. I really leave the text to her. Yes. And it's very important, I think, that she has ownership of, of, of the text, you know. So... You know, uh, it, rarely I see uh, things that, you know, that uh, I disagree with, you mm -hmm. know. Right. But I would rather keep them like that, you know, and disagreeing with them than, uh, than, uh, than correcting it yes. or, 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 or asking her to change it, you know, because it's her text and it's a recreation, mm -hmm. right. you know, of the, of the book. So I just feel like that must be fascinating to read sort of because as you speak English very well, you know, uh, to read a language you understand of your own book. That's interesting. And right? you know, when I, I, I sometimes have to read from the books, you know, the, uh, in English, mm -hmm. and it really feels like my text. I think she really catches the tone and, cool. and, and the rhythm of it. Wow. So, so I think That's she's great. doing a great job. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. So speaking of books in translation yes. and of, of sharing books, mm -hmm. you have brought a book to discuss with us, um, The Dead by Christian Krocht. I'm wondering if you would tell us why and our listeners yeah, why you brought it our way. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it's short. Uh, <laughs> and, we and, appreciate and, 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 Thank you for that. And, and I thought, you know, okay, they've, they've read all 500 pages of my book, so let's uh, bring a short book to the table. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a short novel by uh, Christian Kracht, who is uh, an author from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. uh, he's considered by many as uh, one of the best stylists of German, mm -hmm. the German language today. And uh, I got to know his work uh, a few years ago when I read uh, the novel Imperium, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm which has also been published, I think, in, in, in English, yes. mm -hmm. and by FSG, actually. I was a little bit wary of, of, of bringing a book from FSG <laughs> to the table, and, and especially because I see that they've used my quote here. <laughs> so it's really like, uh, like pushing it, you know? But, but anyway, it's, it's a very, very uh, strong, uh, moving, short novel about uh, lives that uh, are destroyed by... Uh, Fascism and National Socialism mm -hmm. in the in the in the in the years of Nazi Germany, and uh, it tells the story of uh, of a uh, of a uh, of a filmmaker, a Swiss filmmaker, Emil Nageli, who gets uh, uh, assigned uh, to make a film that uh, brings together the 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 Axis uh, powers. Uh, the, the, the powers uh, that came together, uh, Japan, uh, Italy, uh, uh, and Germany, the, mm -hmm. the, the fascist, uh, or, yeah, let's say fascist states, uh, in, in a film. And how he struggles with that, and how he uh, ultimately fails, and how, every, how, the, how the life of, 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 of uh, everyone involved in this are destroyed. Mm -hmm. you know? I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very powerful story, but what I like about it is the is the way it's written it's 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 a it's a, it's a, it's a bit i would say even decadent you mm -hmm. know there there is decadence to it you know it's a, it's a, it's it's a, it's written in a rather old style mm -hmm. yeah. he, christian is uh, is unafraid of using uh, the language uh, in ways which uh, in a way have been uh, exiled from uh, mod, from uh, from uh, contemporary literature uh, he, he allows himself to be too 
too beautiful, too clever, too emotional, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in, in, in a very special way. So I, I really, uh, I, I was glad to bring it to the table. Well, I yeah. was really excited to get a chance to talk about it. I had read it sort of, I, the folks at FSG had sent it to me several months ago, right around when it was published, and I had read it almost immediately in an afternoon because mm -hmm. it, it is short and you do kind of, when you, if you have that luxury, you do just want to fall through it. And I was very excited not only to get a chance to talk about it, but to go back to it because it is one of those books that does reward concentrated thought mm. and, and thinking about it more. Like the first time I read it, the only thing that I was really carrying away with it and when people asked, oh, what did you just read? I was like, this crazy book and Charlie Chaplin is in it. Yeah, and Charlie he's kind Chaplin, of an asshole. He's, he becomes a protagonist for a second, but then he's really the villain. Yeah. <laughs> he's a... Um, and also the whole thing is sort of this strange um, hybrid of like f really filmic. Mm -hmm. Filmic is really the best word for mm -hmm. it because it, it slows down. It super zooms in on things. Yeah. It zooms all the way back out. And every time I was always thinking of a, of a camera lens. Um, but he does, it, he does it without sort of the, you would expect somebody if they were writing in a modern style um, Edgar Cantero does this really well, but using the language of film of like we zoom in on this or like mm -hmm. you, he does it with language in a way, especially the fact that this is a novel in translation. I kept just thinking about like how did he pull this off? Mm -hmm. How did he pull this off? And then it got translated so well that it's still being pulled off. Yeah, that feeling of just watching something and moving slowly towards it. There were moments where I felt like sort of German expressionist cinema like hitchcock style big doorknobs and shadows and angles yes lots of shadow but on the page yeah <laughs> yeah electric shadows someone says at one point yeah which, um, yes mm. i love the idea <laughs> i love that phrase alone <laughs> i'll just i kind of it was something like if i were a teenager i'd have that like written all over my over notebook, notebook. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or on my hand I think it's interesting to use a um, character that truly exists in other things that there seems like they're amalgamations of, of true people. Mm -hmm. But then there's really Charlie Chaplin. Um, do you do you uh, what do you think of using real historical figures? Well, I, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't do it in the same way that Christian Kracht does it. Um, uh, I think there are limits to what uh, what you can morally do, <laughs> but I accept that uh, other people uh, do it. You know, in historical fiction, you bring in all sorts of people, or you even write whole books from the right. point of view of uh, Elizabeth well, I or something. Well, I was right. thinking of Sunnyside by Glenn David Gold, mm -hmm. which is an entire novel from like that follows Charlie Chaplin. But yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know it, 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 there is a moral question there. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, uh, and uh, I think if you do it, you have to somehow uh, uh, acknowledge that you're taking a license with that character. And I think uh, uh, Christian uh, uh, manages to do that because mm -hmm. the, uh, the way Charlie Chaplin turns out is obviously he, 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 he brings us with that character into a situation which is obviously fiction. Mm -hmm. right? And uh, maybe it's a reflection on... on on the dark side of Chaplin, that that was always there, but let's not spoil it for people. But it's it's <laughs> it's uh, it's quite shocking what he does there. Yes, but uh, no, I would never do it in the same way. Uh, I sometimes use uh, real people, but I always put them in the background. You mm -hmm. know, I, they, and and I observe them from uh, the outside, and I would rather create a character that is like. Uh, is like an amalgam of uh, of of different people mm -hmm. uh, than uh, stay too close to the to the to the real person. In my book, you have uh, uh, the you have the you have the head of the genealogical research company, mm -hmm. Cotex, and in Iceland, everybody reads this character as uh, a real man who is who is the director of a genealogical research company there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think he feels absolutely believable to people there because he is made up from yeah. so many huh. different people you mm -hmm. know yeah and i think for fiction you it, it's not enough to have one person 
you know, uh, as, uh, as, uh, as, as a model mm-hmm. for a character. Because there are always, you know, I mean, just as, you know, uh, if you want to create a real character, uh, you have to be able to bring in uh, the conflicts and, uh, and, uh, and uh, the conflicts that are in every person, mm-hmm. uh, that are in real people. And uh, for me, the only way to do it is to make the character up from many different people mm-hmm. because it makes sure that this person does not become a one-dimensional character. Right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's, so, it's sort of um, like, like making a golem in some way. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you, you know, uh, yeah, what do you put into the clay when you're kneading yeah. it? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, uh, I mean, and you put your... I, I, I want to d- talk about this. You put your own self or you put a Sion in your book. Um, which isn't you, or how do you feel? I mean, I, I uh, mean, Stephen King has done it and put. Yeah. Um, yeah. People put themselves in their novels. I just. I, I'm usually there. <laughs> in, 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 in all of my novels, novels, I'm there in in one way or another. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes explicitly and sometimes not. In this book, it it felt important to to. Uh, for me to to be there uh, in person, so to speak, or that I, I was a part of the story, and it was because of this um, this death march or death dance of the the dance of death of the of the of the of the of the uh, children of of 1962, because I'm of course facing my own mortality there. You yes. know, I mean, I'm born in 1962, and I will join them one day, and uh, all the all the deaths mentioned there. All the all the dates of birth and death uh, uh, listed are real, mm-hmm. and obviously some of these people are people I knew, yeah. you know, uh, when they were alive. And uh, yeah, talking about uh, putting real people into your text, uh, I felt a responsibility towards them, mm-hmm. and I felt that the only way I could allow myself uh, to do it, that I would, uh, the only way I could uh, have the license to do it. Was to uh, was to uh, acknowledge that I would join them one day, mm. Mm. and to do that convincingly, where it happens at the end of the book, that I'm a sort of cult to come and join them one day. Uh, the only way to do it was to introduce myself a little bit earlier on uh-huh. in the text. I see. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I, but because we, we we started talking about real people uh, uh, because of the death by Christian yes. Kracht, I I think it's. Uh, it's a it's a novel that deserves uh, deserves uh, readers and and attention and uh, and uh, I think it is a it's an important tale for our days because yeah. of uh, because of uh, because of the story it's telling about the relationship between uh, artists and power mm-hmm. you know and and how do artists move in an environment uh, saturated with the with the abuse of power. Yes, and it's always um, it's it's uh, the the books we read close to one another, especially when we've just read a, a book and then we have you tell us uh, to read a book. They always end up in conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and for these two, I just was so struck that Codex feels like looking. Both of these books respect stories and and see the power of story, and then Codex is like you even look at the books next to each other and it's like codex is the light it's like this is the all the power and the beauty of story and what it can do and what it can communicate and what it can hide but the dead is like this is, let's use story for evil and, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and kill yeah, people yeah, yeah. as many people as we can with story um, yeah. and so i was very struck with that 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 you can use narrative and you can use it for good or you can use it for evil i found myself thinking as I was reading The Dead about Philip K. Dick's The Man on the High Castle, mm-hmm. which I only read for the first time this year, and then I started watching the Amazon show. Both of, I mean, the twist is that in, in the novel, it is a novel, The Man in the High Castle. There's a story, a physical text, mm-hmm. uh, and in the show, it is a newsreel. But both weirdly were in my mind as I was reading The Dead, and this idea of the Nazis were so good at using story and they they saw the use of literature mm. they saw the use of film in particular and and reading this book it yeah it was tough not to see some parallels to the way that 
certain individuals around the world, it's, it is not just a uniquely American struggle right mm-hmm. now, are using storytelling, whether that is through the news media, through social media, or through creating sort of very explicit cultural totems, novels, films, songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to see how successful it is now, to look back and see how successful it almost was, mm-hmm. it, it makes for very harrowing reading. There's no easy resolution at the end of the dead. You don't put down this book and think like, oh, well, <laughs> great, this yeah. was a lovely read. You sort of have to sit there for a while and think like, shit. Yeah. Oh, okay. The last page really was, it was surprising that it didn't say, and fascism was dead forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we could maybe talk about some books we do recommend also to uh, keep back the dark. Oh, sure. We read some pretty cool books. Um, what do you think? Sure. Um, I will recommend two short story collections. Um, I, I love reading short stories whenever I'm reading long maximalist novels when I need a break. It was true with this. We also recently read um, We That Are Young by Preeti Taneha. Mm-hmm. And that it's another big, long book. And it's just nice every once in a while to go sort of have a, a palate cleanser. Um, and so there are two. One is Certain American States another FSG author, Catherine Lacey's new short story collection. The first story in that is worth the price of admission alone. Everything else, all of the other stories are great, but they are like bonuses. Mm. The first story is so good. It is about um, a couple that is breaking up and the, the man is like, you can't write about me. And she's like, why would I ever write about you? But the way that it is told sort of spit it like, it's just a psychoanalysis of a couple and what it means to be in a relationship with a creative person. Mm. Um, and it, it, I mean, I would, we've had Catherine on the show. I love her novels. Um, it's a great, great collection. The other one, a debut author, the collection is called Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajay Burima. Um, and the stories are weird Afrofuturist twists on Black Friday, like Black Friday as a zombie attack. Um, the idea of a theme park that allows white people to come shoot unarmed black men on the street as a sort of catharsis. And that from the point of view of like the young man who that's his day job. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a strong, sometimes brutal collection. Sometimes like messily brutal. Uh, but I really, I found myself every time I finished a story, I just kind of had a like, wow mm. moment. So yeah. yeah, if you're looking for some short stories, yeah, that's some good ones. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Sion? Well, I've just uh, finished a novel called Washington Black. Ooh, mm. yeah. Uh, by Essie uh, Edugwen. Yes. Uh, a Canadian uh, author of uh, uh, Ghanaian uh, uh, of, of, of Ghanaian origin mm-hmm. and uh, it's a fantastic uh, fantastic novel about a, a young uh, boy who is growing up on a on a plantation in the Caribbean uh, in the in the 19th century and um, who by coincidence uh, uh, is uh, taken in by a eccentric Englishman who is uh, trying to put together or, or to invent a flying machine. And uh, from there, uh, he goes on his life journey. It's an amazing novel that really uh, recreates the 19th century adventure story, mm-hmm. but completely twists all the parameters uh, around and, uh, and questions the way we have been told those stories before, and it's a Ooh. fantastic book. One of wow. one of the one of the you know one of the one of the best reading experiences I've had in a long while. I wow, guess. cool! I, yeah, that sounds great. I have it on my stack. It has just jumped up to the top of my <laughs> <Okay>. stack. <laughs> Christopher, 
Um, so I'm going to recommend, it's actually, um, you can only read this on a computer. Okay. Uh, it's called uh, 17,776, 17, um, or What Football Will Look Like in the Future. And it is, um, it's a, it's an interactive reading experience. It, it's the only <clears throat> one that I've ever experienced that's ever like this before. Um, it's a lot of scrolling and, and clicking in weird ways. And it's narrated by three satellites mm-hmm. um, as they talk about humanity. Um, and, you know, in, seriously, it is the year 17,776. And all of these um, football games have sprung up, but all of the rules are different. And so they're every, um, in the future, everyone is immortal. Um, and most of society hasn't moved forward since the time that everyone became immortal, which is in like 2028 20, or so. <laughs> and um, people have just Great. been playing these crazy, different, weird football games. Like one is that one has never ended. And now there's like cities inside of the stadium. Um, and they Whoa. still throw the ball around. Another one is the entire length of the world um so you can throw passes into like tornadoes and everyone has to like drive their car into it to try to get the ball but um, something emerges where you follow a player of that game and some of the other games that exist um and uh it's so weird and but like a fantastic click around reading experience uh, by john boyce b-o-i-s um it's hosted on a fan blog for football called SB Nation. Huh. Okay. Um, and it's a really weird, totally singular, only could it, uh, exist online reading experience that I have not stopped thinking about since I read it a couple months ago. Cool. So that is, that is what I recommend. SB Nation, publishing fiction. Yeah. What a world. It actually was published over a year ago. I'm, I'm late to this party. For all of the horrible things happening, yeah. there is still light. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Sion, thank you so much for joining us on the, um, on the podcast. Yeah, this is, this is really an honor. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for having me, and thank you for this wonderful drink yeah, and, of the, course. and the great conversation. No problem. Um, everybody listening at, um, at home, we would appreciate it if you do a few things. You could go to patreon.com slash smdb and um, contribute if you'd like. A dollar to $10 is very helpful or more. Um, you can we, leave us reviews. On iTunes, reviews. iTunes podcast. We really appreciate when you leave five stars and write something about us. And we also really would appreciate it if you would go and buy Codex 1962 by Sion. It's a fantastic, bizarre, fan, like changing re- reading experience. I really loved it. Yeah, it is everything in a novel. Yeah, that could be there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, have a good week, everybody. Cool. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.